0: Hi everyone, welcome back to KB Talks powered by the NKBA, the only podcast dedicated to sharing the latest kitchen and bath industry insights, providing you with the education and connections to help grow and support your business. I'm Jennifer Bertrand, and we're recording live from KBiz 2020. As we all know, the skilled labor shortage has made a severe impact on the kitchen and bath industry. And there have been a lot of discussions on how we can address and tend to the gaps. If anyone has the answer, it's today's guest, Misha Fisher, Chief Economist for Angie's List and Home Advisor. His voices from the industry session here at KBiz focuses on recent policy changes, reports on labor force trends, and how we can address the skills gap challenges. And I'm thrilled to welcome him onto the podcast. But before we get started, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Home Advisor. Are you a home repair or improvement pro looking to grow your business? Home Advisor can help. Here's how it works Home Advisor matches homeowners looking for help with their projects with the best local pros in the area who can do the job. That means your business gets connected to new customers quickly and easily. Get started now and Home Advisor will help you find your next job. And be sure to ask if you are eligible for a limited time, $100 credit when you sign up. Go to HomeAdvisor.com slash offer. Again, that's HomeAdvisor.com slash offer. Okay, we are ready to get started, and I'm happy to introduce Misha, and happy to have you here with us. And let's start by having you introduce yourself.
1: Well, Thanks for having me, it's fun to be here. So I'm the Chief Economist for Home Advisor on Angie's List. I think most people are familiar with our brands. Angie's List is, of course, very well-known. Angie's a wonderful person. Home Advisor and Angie's List brought me on to talk about things like the trade labor shortage, so part of my role there is a traditional business statistics type role, looking at the internal piece, but a main focus is bridging the gap between business and the broader industry and the community around us, and making sure that we're contributing to understanding these big shifts and big challenges that we all have to collectively solve, and obviously first and foremost among those things is the shortage of skilled tradespeople in the industry and going into the industry. So they brought me on board to do that.
0: No, it's a heavy, serious topic. So in terms of skilled labor, I know we've seen some growth in it, but where would you say we're at in that topic in our industry?
1: We've seen some positive growth and that's fantastic. We have a great labor market, but that's a double-edged sword. So the challenge of having this great labor market is that the construction and remodeling industries have to compete with other industries and other businesses as people have more and more options to choose from. And what we have to do is do a much better job of providing more information out there to young people that this is actually a fantastic career to go into. Right now we're running into this twin issue where We had this recession ten years ago that was very traumatic for a lot of people, and it hit the housing market the most. And the housing market, new home construction, were traditionally a great pathway in for people entering the construction trades because there's an overlap in skills between remodeling a kitchen and building from scratch. Obviously, these are very complementary skill sets. And so, even though we've picked back up in new home construction, we're now at an annualized rate of about one and a half million per year. We also have 140 million houses out there that need updating and need work. And we are suffering the hangover effect of not having pulled people into the industry or people having left the industry 10 years ago during the recession. And now, as things are gearing back up, we're behind where we need to be because young people have chosen other career options and because the industry hasn't been pulling people in as much. So even though it's a good thing that the labor market is so strong, it's making very apparent this issue that we don't have enough people entering the workforce.
0: It's almost like we have to kind of brand it to that generation. And like, I find if you approach it from a craftsman concept, it sometimes identifies a little bit more with the younger generation. Are you finding that there are any certain things that are working there, specifically,
1: There's there's a number of things that are working specifically. The craftsman thing that you touched on is very key. There's a lot of romance to that story. I know,
0: you get a tattoo sleeve, a beard.
1: The whole thing, yeah. Shave your head, do a face tattoo, lean into it, accept the, uh, the, the romance of being somebody who works with their hands and creates things. And there's a funny distinction that I like to point out, and that is that a lot of my work is doing writing code in a statistical program or language. and I have other friends who also write code for a level a good number of us do woodworking on the side or other sort of crafts person type things I don't know a lot of craft who decide to do coding of statistical algorithms on the side because it's way less fun it's much more fun to go out and build something with your hands and to create something and at the end of the day to have a physical object to really show for it so that's something that is, uh, is definitely a big part of it. We've, we've been doing some research, and we'll have some stuff coming out in the next couple of quarters, on some of the other things that are going. I highlighted four areas of improvement during my KBiz talk that would fall under the sort of general rubric of what people are doing right and wrong. And the four are... Well, the first one was we go and we ask people, would getting more women into the skilled trades Help solve the problem, because clearly, (coughs) 55% of people say no. That's the wrong answer. I mean, it's just objectively the wrong answer, because there's such an imbalance currently. And if you go back a couple of generations, there were imbalances in law and medicine and technology. Right now, in 2020, we see women as the number greater number of women are graduating from law school or medical school than men. That wasn't the case a couple of generations ago, and so it has fixed other industries. But if you go out and ask pros, 55 percent say it's not going to it's not going to be a big problem, not a big solution to the problem. What's funny though is if you slice and dice the information and you ask if you look at specifically people who have hired skilled uh, tradeswomen into the industry, they're three times more likely to say, oh yeah, this is definitely the this is definitely the solution. So it's just that the people who aren't doing it aren't seeing that it fixes the problem. The people who are doing it are going, oh yeah, this is extremely obvious. So that's sort of the first contradiction.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, see who embraces those, you know, different ways to go about filling the gap.
1: Yeah, and there's there's some other ways that people can fill the gap too. So another one of these contradictions that I highlighted in the talk was if you ask people, well, what would fix the problem? So 55% say bringing more women into the trades would, which we just sort of Established is not the right answer. I have a feeling
0: women would say differently. Women would
1: say differently. The problem is there's not enough in the industry to point out this to people. And so there's so much room to change that. A second thing we say, okay, well, what would fix it? 80% of people say we're putting shop class back in high school. But then if you go out and say, well, have you done anything to try and get shop class back in school? Have you spent time going to your school board or your state board of education? Have you been engaged in that process? Virtually nobody has actually engage in that process in a meaningful long-term sustained way and so there's the wrong answer about what would help fix the problem in terms of getting more women in there's the right answer about yeah shop class would help but then nobody's actually doing enough work to actually get people back involved in the trades through the educational system
0: why do you think that is though like that they see there's the problem but they aren't taking the action? Is it overwhelming?
1: It's overwhelming, and it's a lot of work. And it's hard work. And it doesn't contribute to your bottom line in the short term. It will in the long term, but it's hard to prioritize things that don't contribute to your bottom line immediately. And before this role, I spent three years as uh, in the state of Illinois. Uh, First as the Deputy Director of their Department of Commerce, and then as their Chief Economist overseeing the agencies that do workforce training and professional licensing. And Lobbying the government is a difficult job, and it can be overwhelming at first, but it does work if you engage in the process in a sustained way. So the piece of advice I have if you are running a remodeling or other sort of home services business is get together with the other people in your area, your your peers and competitors, and come up with a formalized plan of which school boards, which specific schools, your state board of education, which elected officials you're going to engage with, Collectively, bandy together and say, "All right, so and so, you're going to take the point this year. The rest of us will just lend our names and support to everything we do. If we're doing a letter or meetings. We'll show up, but we won't actually handle any of the organizing or strategy until next year, and then rotate out. And if you get four or five companies doing that, any given one only has to take point once every five years. But collectively, now you have a lot of names behind an effort. And so that's one way to go out there and engage in the major process." and try anything like that. But that's not something that when you're trying to run a world-class remodeling business is necessarily top of mind.
0: But if someone hears this and they're like, okay, Misha, I'd like to do that and take action and help, are there any online resources where you're like, hey, go here, look at this? Um, They've already done some of the groundwork to get you started to implement? I think this podcast
1: right here, this is their Uh, research. I like your answer. Come to this podcast. We're teaching you.
0: Yeah, and what were the other There were four points that you had? So
1: the third one, and this is, uh, this is I think, also pretty relevant, is if you go out and ask people, uh, what sort of people do you want to attract to the trades? People say, well, I want young people. And then we say, well, how are you trying to get young people? They all say, word of mouth. Unless you're doing word of mouth on Fortnite, I don't think you're going to attract young people. You have to go to where they are. So people have a mismatch between where they're going and how they're, uh, look, it's a mismatch of who they're trying to attract and how they are going about attracting those people. And so if you're trying to go for young people to enter the trades, make sure that you are, that you have a LinkedIn presence, that you are providing people with a career pathway, which is something that a lot of younger people want. It's something that I, I feel like I can kind of say as a millennial that, Millennials grew up playing video games. with used to the progression path. And you have to give people that in their career. That's free for you as a business to say, you know, this isn't just a job. This is a career. You can come in. This is how your skills are going to level up. This is how your responsibilities are going to level up. And this is how you can really have a rewarding life in the trade. And then that ties in very well with the fourth thing that people are doing, which is we ask people, how are you competing? Are you competing with track people in the whole way? And people... Say, well, we're competing on wages. We're offering very competitive wages, and we still can't find the people we're looking for. But if we also ask people, well, what makes you really enjoy your job? Is it your wages or something else? Overwhelmingly, people say, no, it's finding meaning in my work. So there's a mismatch between how people are trying to attract and compete with other sectors of the economy and with what they themselves get out of the work that they're doing. And that is that it's very rewarding, fun, meaningful work and yes, you have to compete on wages, but you should also make sure you're highlighting that it's a lot of fun to do this and it's very rewarding. It'll be
0: interesting, interesting to see how the impact of technology on these younger generations and some of the mental health issues that will happen, you know, through all of that and then going back to the basics and doing a hard reset and getting your hands doing something And not being on your phone or watching TV or whatnot. And I think it'll be something that is said that needs to be done.
1: Right. Well, I mean, not to sound all preachy, but I think there's only one way that that human beings can really, truly be happy. And that is incremental self-improvement and just enjoying that journey of making yourself better. And there is so much to learn. And it's so rewarding to learn it in the skilled trades, particularly around our homes. Because we all have to live somewhere. We all have to have an environment that we really enjoy living in and you know your background working with Angie's list on the really nice environment that's conducive to sleep highlights that perfectly that can be such a rewarding thing because you spend so much of your life in there so make that a nice environment and be somebody who has the skill set to go in and do that for somebody else because the other thing I think that can make people happy I I suppose I misspoke when I said that I think it's just self incremental self improvement I also think it's service to others and it, this covers both of those of those things, and you can do it without racking up a student loan debt, or without having to, you know, go work in a, uh, you know, some some industry that's notorious for sort of people getting burned out, and having to leave, and you know, trying to make partner at some prestigious uh, professional firm, where you know you've got a one in a hundred shot or a one in a thousand shot of making it there. Versus in the in the skilled trades, you can become your own boss immediately and learn all these skills, and that's a really really compelling narrative that we're just not. A good enough job,
0: talk but I also think it comes back to the concept of community and starting small. So, when you listen to this, um, it, part of it is going, you don't have to go out there and attack it all and take it all on. Start small if you're a builder, um, and you get your children involved, build a side table for your house. Or, if you know, I have some um, places where I've heard them employing veterans to um skilled labor um or start working on just your local high school getting a shop class and what needs to happen but we, i mean do you think start small if you want to make some kind of difference or do they have to go big?
1: no definitely start small that is that is absolutely the way to do it most effective lobbying is in fact always small small it's always the human human interaction i mean lobbying is, is notorious for it for, for better or for worse it's notorious as being a relationship driven thing and that's an asset that you have if you are Thanks. a pillar in your local community or working to be a pillar in your local community, to be engaged with your city council person or your local representative or your members of the school board or you know, the, the teacher's advisory, whatever one of those things are. Start small, just engage people, and you know it could be as easy as, easy as, a, uh, as an elementary school, which are, are typically not large, and there's usually a lot of them around. Really be also be a great way in terms of uh, showing kids you know, how to engage with these things
0: i also think the conversation has been happening in our industry for a while now but i think it's also educating those outside of our industry so that they know this conversation is happening i mean do you find that people outside of the industry know what's going on because they won't know till it impacts their install price or whatever they,
1: yeah i think that everybody is now becoming a shortage of people in the labor market we've sort of had an easy employers i think have had an easy run of it over the last 10 years because there has been in the labor market now everybody's waking up and realizing hey we have to be really intentional about our pipeline if we want to have really good people coming in to do this because what is your business in the end your business is taking your focus and drive and attention to quality and product and ideally multiplying that across the people that you bring into your business so you need quality people up there and iterate. And there's has been a growing cultural focus on it, but it just hasn't been enough. I, uh,
0: are all, you worried?
1: I am worried. I am worried. We've got the average age of, of an American today is about 38. Uh, and we have all these boomers who are retiring. And they own tens of millions of homes. And a lot of them are in the trades. So we have this two-fold problem where all those homes are going to start being sold and they're the 38 year old the average millennial who's in their now early to mid 30s is going to want to be buying these homes and updating them for their preferences and styles and there's nobody left to do the work and so you're just going to have this big loss where consumers can't get the services that they want and that hits the entire industry if you're a manufacturer you need somebody out there installing your products and you need you know consumers who aren't riddled with student loan debt to be able to go out there and buy your products. And exactly. that's a that's a big challenge. The, I, I always joke that there's 1.6 trillion reasons why people shouldn't trust public policy alone to fix this problem, and that's the amount of outstanding student loan debt. And that means that we have all that money out there that's not being a spent in home services, it's being spent in terms of interest and payments on the principal. And you have all these people who have all that debt that haven't found some other career thing that wouldn't have required that they pull it out, that they instead had something that was this rewarding career. They didn't have to go into debt to do. That. Wow.
0: In terms of um, the skills gap and putting it in context, how big is the overall home services market?
1: That's a really great question. We oh, actually we actually have a report coming out in the,
0: uh,
1: uh, in the near future that sort of spells out specifically really concrete estimates of the size. Right now, I'll say it's at least 400 billion dollars, which is a very large amount of money. Because if you think about the existing stockpile of homes, we've got 140 million of them. 128 million are occupied, but even the unoccupied ones need some upkeep. And in a perfect world, every single one of those homes is being regularly cleaned. And you know, I think all of us kind of enjoy cleaning a little bit. But one great home service is having somebody else do that for you, which is great. And then you, of course, need to be replacing roofs, water heaters, all that sort of regular maintenance. You have landscaping, seasonal upkeep in terms of prepping for the summer and the winter. And then, of course, remodel. We see a current thing among millennials because they are traditionally sort of financially behind. Financial ROI is really important to people, so buying a home and then doing that maintenance and upkeep and renovation that actually gets you to having a more valuable asset is something that drives a lot of demand. So collectively, the industry is, you know, approximately, you know, according to our estimates, about eighty-three percent remodeling and improvement, about twelve percent that's for seasonal maintenance and upkeep, and about five percent emergencies.
0: Right now. Um, no, um, but in terms of businesses investing and in upskilling and reskilling people, what are you seeing in terms of that?
1: I think some businesses, a few early ones, have gotten the memo and they've started to understand that they should engage with the of public policy and again you can start small on that as we sort of talked about we have 3,200 counties in the country or so Uh, I don't think that's the precise number but it's in that ballpark and every single one of those counties you can engage with because lots of them have
0: uh,
1: various sorts of licensing boards in some cases there's 50 state governments to engage with there's all these school districts there's of course the federal government as well that is another layer you do have a you know, you have a local congressperson that, that goes to Congress and you can try and engage with them. What we see working specifically for businesses, though, are when they also take the initiative to try and formalize their own pipeline. And so there has been there was a great NKBA effort, this cave uh, is, this to bring a lot of students around. I know that they were walking around today, which was fantastic. No, it was amazing.
0: I love seeing students wandering and learning.
1: Yeah, and it, well, this was the first year that something of that scale has happened here, right?
0: Um, I know last year they had it. This is the second year, and it's only going to keep growing because the NKBA cares so much about having that conversation and and, and improving this large problem that we have. But what do you find are the most in-demand skills that we're lacking in?
1: The thing that people tell us the most of what they want is a good attitude and the capacity to work, which is an amazing story. People aren't asking for... PhD in physics from some prestigious university that only a tiny number of people are going to have the time to go out there and and go through the process and get. They're just saying hey, come in, work hard, have a good attitude and that is the number one thing that we see pros telling us that we want that they want. They don't care about uh, having access to a vehicle necessarily, they don't care about language skills, they care about a good ethic and that, you know, what's more American than that?
0: No, I have a um, a carpenter who builds all my cabinets and he told me about how he got an intern and his intern showed up in um, towless slippers okay. and he said, okay, go ahead and get changed and come on in and we'll start in the shop and he goes, what are you talking about? I'm ready and he was like, and there you're done yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's interesting though that it's not really a skill other than an attitude and a mindset, Right. that's crazy
1: and a willingness to be flexible and, and it is, I mean we have to start uh, we've got to start early Getting kids involved in, around that mindset, and that is, you know, something that we've seen. One of the unintended co- side effects of some developments on the policy front is that we don't see teenagers engaging with the labor force uh, as early. I'm somebody who started working on the farm when I was very young. I won't tell any stories, or my my family will dispute their accuracy, but. I, you know, I started working in a grocery store when I was 15, and then I worked all through the university, and, you know, that that degree of just engaging with the labor market early is such a great way to build a understanding and appreciation of what's going on in the labor market and how you get kids to have that good attitude. And we don't do enough of that, and that's true for every single industry.
0: And, like... You know, that totally falls on us as parents, not, I mean, we gave them the world. We wanted them to have it, and you had all those different generations. My husband's parents were World War II survivors. My um, grandparents were depression survivors. And then, you know, my child's known loveliness. Right. And he probably thinks that feels like hardship.
1: That's, that's, that's one of the best millennial defenses, I think, is, uh, yes, we might be the participation trophy generation, but who's giving us the trophies?
0: Isn't that? It's so interesting, and now we're paying for it. Yeah, but okay. So, are there consumer trends that, on the demand side of the market, that are relevant to shor- the shortage side of skilled trades on the supply side? I think there's it's such a long-winded it, question, but long-winded you know question. what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I think that there's two different things. One's kind of a fun one, and one's kind of a watch. Wonkish one, I want them we'll, both. We'll, well, we'll get the wonkish one out of the way first. The wonkish one is this this distribution of what the population looks like. So, if you're looking at, if you're drawing a curve of what ages people are, you've got this big curve of millennials. We just want people to talk about millennials. It's a big age cool So, it's not that the population is evenly distributed across the ages. And what that means is you have a whole bunch of people right now who are all in that young kids phase. And they know they're going to have teenagers in 10 years. And they also grew up watching the growing cultural cachet of design shows and cooking shows and they have Instagram and they look at really nice food on on their phones and as a result you have this focus on cooking and entertainment theater around food and then of course the actual tangible family demands of how you get the home to be this area of uh, really a really functional tool I guess we could say and so that's sort of driving more renovation and remodeling needs, and then uh, I think that was the fun one. The more the more, the more technocratic one is, of course, the age of homes. So we've got the age of the population, and the age of homes. We're dealing with an average home age that's also around that same thing. Home ages are getting to be around forty years old on average, and as a result, you've got a lot of demand for a big restoration, redoing your siding, your roofing, these sorts of things. So when you combine those two things together, this is why we've seen the remodeling growing so healthy in such a healthy way over the last several years, 6-7% of your growth, and that is, you know, I think going to continue for the foreseeable future. I know there's, there's been some concern that the modeling industry is going to slow down and recede a little bit. I don't see that uh, as, a, as a long-term trend. I think that the long-term trend is still for people wanting modern, up-to-date homes that really suit their needs. And we and, have, it, and
0: it, they're noticing it's impacting wellness too right yeah
1: impacting wellness is huge and the sleep that's why I love the sleep that you did a couple of years ago is you get your phone away from your bed enjoy the make enjoy the environment take the TV out get the phone away from the bed if you can and you know I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that so I'm a total hypocrite on the issue but it can make such a difference if you go to bed and the lights' right and you get your body in that rhythm. That's yeah, a huge and
0: Anyone listening, if they're going, what are you talking about? So it was a few years ago, Angie's List had a national conf- like contest with three designers. And it was with Ariana Huffington's book, The Sleep Revolution. And it was to design a bedroom for $10,000, implementing the five criteria that she had for sleep wellness. And it was myself and two other designers, and America voted. And nicely, it worked out great. But I learned so much just by those five facts about including it in your bedroom. What were the five facts for the? So it's good, I always say, so it's about a cool space, so like temperature wise, it's about no blue light, no technology, surround yourself with things you love, and then there's one other one. But I feel like it's remembering four.
1: Popcorn machine. Have a popcorn, <laughs> popcorn machine in your bedroom.
0: Yes, always. We'll
1: just go with that. Nobody yeah. fact-checked that.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so, and do you find that, like, the green aspect to anything affects any of this?
1: I think that that's, de- that's definitely a consumer focus. I don't know that it's driving some of these fundamental economics. It is it is something that manufacturers have to be aware of and the designers should be communicating because there is definitely a consumer demand for that across the board. But this is my bias as an economist, we tend to sort of focus at what are the concrete numbers doing in terms of how many people are there, what are they spending. And I think the green thing falls under a consumer preference thing. So it is important, just as it's important if consumers are switching from you know, ports to marble or something like that, they want to make sure that things are ethical and sustained well. And designers and manufacturers definitely pay attention to that, but I don't think that that's driving the the core issue of a lever core shortage. Maybe uh, the closest we could get is to say that products are getting more and more complicated, and as consumers, and some of that's going to be green, but some of that's just also that consumers like complicated products. I'm Walking the floor today, I was looking at a shower. I forget which manufacturer made it, but it was it was incredible. I mean, there was eight different knobs coming out of the wall. They had a, a clear display against the wall, so you could see all the piping behind it that's a lot more complicated and you're going to need more labor time to put that in and make sure it all works right. And certainly you're going to need high quality labor that's going to put it in and work right because if somebody's putting in a $30 shower head versus a $3,000 shower, you as the installer have to make sure that that's really done right because it's going to be very expensive to go back and fix it. So I think that consumer element is definitely also going to drive the need for high quality labor and going to exacerbate the effect. The green thing, I think, is important, and people have to be aware of it, but I don't know that it drives the core issue in the same way.
0: Are there any other aesthetic trends or anything you're seeing in our industry design-wise that are impacting it? Like, we're doing a call for using more wood flooring or whatnot or vinyl plank, any of those kind of concepts that you're like, that affects our numbers?
1: I think the smart home piece is certainly, again, because of the complexity. My, uh, my colleague at Home Advisor, Danny Clarico, who's a former This Old House and Consumer Reports guy, his KBIS talk was on 10 remodeling design trends. I'm sure if people track him down on Twitter and hit them up, they'll uh, elaborate on that. But some of those consumer trends around low maintenance, but looking nice, but low maintenance, focus on lighting focus and smart technology, those things all again require really high quality labor. If you're putting in an expensive flooring product or an expensive countertop the cost of not getting that right is very expensive my wife and I recently bought a new construction build and the home builder didn't get a few things right it's very expensive for them to go back after the fact because on a premium flooring product or a premium countertop product if it's not done right it's very very expensive
0: and it can also affect your brand and your community and whatnot. so in terms of business, it's worth you
1: know worth doing it right. And exactly. in this case, the you know the builder, it ran into the issue, and you know they, they chalked it up to the trade labor shortage, which I'm not unsympathetic about. But in the end, it's their time to go back and fix it.
0: Do you have any advice for anyone who would be listening to this about they're facing personal challenges in this area in their community that you would say you know think about this?
1: I think the best advice I have or focus on those four things. So focus on having a formal plan to get more women involved. Law and medicine figured this out. The the skill trades hasn't yet. We're talking about it now. We haven't solved the problem. So that's a big one. Then make sure you're communicating the value of the work. Make sure you're going to the right place to get young people. Because if you're just asking people word of mouth, again, unless you're... Unless you're a YouTube streamer, you're probably not using the right word of mouth mechanism. And then make sure you're communicating the value of the word. So
0: in terms of that right word of mouth, is there somewhere that has any resources where they could get that kind of wording so they can educate themselves about how to say it right?
1: I, well, I think of this podcast, I think again, I, well, we'll so just, good, I'm not going to keep we'll plugging even the have podcasts. you back. I'm going to keep plugging the podcast. I think these are, uh, uh, you know, we cover all of these all of these things here and then I'm sure you've got other speakers on as well as well. And you know, people have to just think about where are young people you can recruit into this and chances are they are kind of scattered and so you need to make sure you have a presence on multiple things, go on LinkedIn, provide a career progression. Go on other job boards, you know, there's there's a bunch of them. Make sure you have that, that presence and you're selling people in your career.
0: And I think by coming to things like k you can be around other people who are facing the same challenges and it can feel less, you know, isolating in terms of, you know, those worries.
1: It's funny you say that. The Probably the best part of people coming to the, the talk that I gave Uh, earlier with the voices from industry I mean on the downside they had to put up with me on the plus side there was actually one company in the audience that did raise their hand when I asked people if they'd engage and the woman from that company had a great story about how her company had engaged and for the rest of the audience it was nice for them to actually hear not just me being pessimistic and complaining about the problem but also to see that they had a peer or a competitor company that was actually engaging with it and that it did work No that's excellent and just so you know I love a power tool. Oh, there you go.
0: (laughs) Thank you for being here. Is there anything else you want to add?
1: Uh, Homeadvisor.com slash research. We're building it out right now to just be a public-facing area where people can go in and get up-to-date information on what's going on in the industry and what's going on with the trade-labor shortage and where the market's going from here.
0: Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thanks for listening. We'll have new episodes of KB Talks coming your way soon, so make sure you are subscribed and stay tuned. Please be sure to send your feedback to nkba at flyingcampbell.com, and remember to take a moment to leave us a star rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Stay tuned for a quick NKBA Minute.
1: The NKBA Specialty Badge Program offers members a new competitive edge. Certification has long been a cornerstone of the National Kitchen and Bath Association's mission, although the designations are mostly limited to designers. The Specialty Badge Program now allows any NKBA member to broaden their knowledge and earn credentials in a variety of areas through online course materials and passing an online exam. Visit nkba.org badges to discover the NKBA Specialty Badges currently available. Take advantage of the NKBA's ongoing professional development opportunities and get the NKBA competitive edge.